I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. 101. Quiet, please. You ready for the big show? Exactly 15 seconds. We'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% of them that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I thought were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country, particularly in, uh, in, uh, in the area of immigration. Now, that's Joe Biden, and that was almost exactly three years ago, January of 2021, when he says this is bad for America. It's bad for our national security. So he signed that stack of executive orders. I wanted to remind you of where this actually started, because three years ago, America had one of the most secure borders it had ever had, because Donald Trump had done exactly that. And that was Joe Biden saying, well, this is bad. It's bad because it speaks badly of who we are as a country and who we are as a people. In other words, you have a border and you actually enforce it. So Joe Biden was ordering the unenforcement of the border. I don't think anybody at that time, January of 2021, almost exactly three years ago, could have forecast if somebody had said like me, if I had said, hey, you know, in the next three years, we're going to see 10 million people illegally cross that border because of what Joe Biden has just done. You might have called me crazy. You certainly would have been skeptical. Lawrence, we're not going to see numbers like that. America has never seen numbers like that before. And yet that's exactly what's happened. And that was the moment when it started. And now, if you think Joe Biden was bad, wait till you hear what the Republicans are proposing to do. I'm going to give you all the details here in a moment. First, Welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's the best conversation in talk journalism. It's honestly provocative talk radio. And if you want to join that conversation, you're always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, and believe me, I expect to get some naysayers on this, there got to be somebody out there who thinks of what Joe Biden has done to America and is planning to keep doing to America. 
is uh, is a good thing. I mean, there must be. Somebody voted for this guy, right? Not 81 million people, for sure. That was a fraud. But somebody must have thought this was a great idea. But guess what? Now the Republicans are getting even worse. You can also send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Easy to remember. And if you want to vote in our X poll, we put up a brand new question on X, used to be Twitter, uh, at Lars Larson Show. We put the same question at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in that X poll. We're glad to have you do it. Doesn't cost anything. Might be habit forming. You know the usual requirements. But let me tell you this. The Republicans are about to try to sell out America when it comes to this new border deal. Because over the weekend, they said, look, we've got this great new deal. And then you start digging into the details of the deal. It is absolutely obscene what they're doing. Now, I want to give you some context. Right now, as of today, we are seeing anywhere from 10 to 12,000 illegal aliens cross our southern border into the United States. It is costing big American cities billions of dollars. And if it hasn't happened to you already, this is going to start impacting your community. You're going to see your community say, why, we have to divert billions of dollars. We're going to take it out of schools. We're going to take it out of police. We'll take it out of fire departments and emergency response because we have to take care of these illegal aliens that Joe Biden has foisted upon our country. In fact, you've got New York City where the mayor, Eric Adams, who's already budgeted $2.4 billion to deal with just the front end of this crisis that was created by a president of Eric Adams' own same party. But now he's saying, well, and we're going to budget $53 million so we can give free $1,000 prepaid debit cards to every illegal alien family. And they get to refill that $1,000 once a month. So they're getting free housing, free food, free medical care, and cash on top of that. It's almost like you say to the, you know, the Democrats, well, hold on, how could you figure out to get people to come into America illegally? Well, they're going to come in anyway. There are better jobs, more paycheck, all the rest of that. Why don't we offer them $1,000 a month if they bring their family in? That's exactly what's happening. So you would expect that American Republicans would say, no, this has to stop. It has to stop now. I mean, even Barack Hussein Obama's homeland security guy, Jay Johnson, not exactly the most conservative political figure out there. He said that his staff would tell him if there were five or six hundred people a day coming across the border, that that was bad. And he said when it got to a thousand a day, that was a crisis. We are now at 10 to 12,000 a day. And what do the Republicans propose? Senator James Lankford, allegedly a Republican, is saying that he's cut a deal and the, the Democrats are going to go for the deal. It would legalize 5,000 people a day. Now, I understand in relative terms, if you were to say, well, Lars, 5,000 a day is better than 10,000 a day. Yes, but 5,000 a day is still a crisis level of entry to the United States of America. It is absolutely insane what they are proposing, but it gets worse. This whole package is going to be well over a hundred billion dollars. Now, some of it goes to Taiwan. Some of it goes to Israel. Of course, because the Biden crime family is involved, some of it goes to Ukraine. But tens of billions of dollars of it go into so-called border security. The only problem is 
that instead of going with a plan like H.R. 2, which is the House of Representatives plan for closing up the border, for closing the loopholes and the law, for making it hard for any president to open up the borders and cause a crisis like this. No, the Senate plan is a total giveaway. $118 billion in a national security, and that's a bad name, supplemental package. And what are the various members of the Senate saying about it? Well, the real conservative, Steve Daines out of Montana, says, I can't support a bill that doesn't secure the border, provides taxpayer-funded lawyers to illegal aliens, and gives billions to radical open borders groups. He says he's a no. Out of Tennessee, Bill Haggerty says, under a president who started and could stop this crisis tomorrow and whose solution to illegal aliens or immigration is to legalize it, I'm a hard no. And you go right down the list. Real conservatives say no. Number one, $20 billion for emergency spending. And the problem is, he says this is the toughest and the fairest deal. I'll go right back to that soundbite I started with. Joe Biden thinks that somehow America looks bad if we actually have an enforceable border. Well, every real country on planet Earth, as Senator Biden used to say, you can't be a real country if you don't have an enforceable border. And yet Joe Biden is saying, well, we want to have this deal. Give me billions of dollars. I'll make it easier for people to get into the country. And not only that, the Republicans are going to sign off on legalizing the illegal crossing of 5,000 people per day. And only if it gets worse than that can you do an emergency closure of the border. Now, when the Republicans have joined in with people like Joe Biden, we're sunk. This is a terrible thing, although I can tell you this. At this point, it looks as though that deal is dead on arrival. But it gives you an idea of just how far the Republicans are willing to go to sell out to Open Borders Joe. Glad to be with you. Glad to take your calls. 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed as well. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Unwrapping the news so you don't have to. 
Back to the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. City Commissioner Rene Gonzalez aspires to the job of Portland mayor. So what kind of leadership has he been displaying lately? Well, he quit taking Max Light Rail to work because, according to his own social media post, a woman accosted him. Now, you're hearing reports about that today. The news reports say being accosted sound very serious, but accosted only means to boldly approach someone. And by all accounts, this woman constituent did just that, with some hard questions and even some criticism about what Commissioner Gonzalez's policies have been on the homeless. Ironically enough, the very group of drug-addicted and mentally ill who often create a serious hazard for anybody who has to take transit to work. So, what did the co courageous Commissioner Rene Gonzalez do? Rene declared that he would avoid light rail indefinitely. Gonzalez doesn't like hard questions. I know that because Commissioner Gonzalez has never, ever agreed to answer any of my questions, and we've invited him on the show dozens of times. So the man who would be mayor runs from criticism and tough questions from his constituents. We already have one of those in feckless Ted Wheeler. What do we need with a second one? And look how it's working out. Did Gonzalez demand tough security on TriMet for all the other people who have to take the train? Did he insist the city clean up the homeless? Did he crack down on street drugs? Do something about the mentally ill who routinely assault people? Rene retreated behind his taxpayer-funded security where he won't have to face tough questions from pesky constituents. I'll get to your calls in just a moment, but if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Now, our question of the day. I saw this story where the Native Americans in the Ogallala Sioux tribe are very upset with South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who we're kind of keeping a close eye on because Donald Trump has name-dropped Kristi Noem as a possible VP running mate for him, although I figure he's going to keep his powder dry until about July before he tells people who his VP will be. Certainly wouldn't be somebody like Mike Pence. But guess what? The tribal president, Frank Starr, came out and told the governor of South Dakota, Due to the safety of the tribe, effective immediately, you are banished from the homelands of the Ogallala Sioux tribe. Well, what is it that Governor Noam said? She said America should enforce its borders. Now, do you know what I find ironic about this and maybe even hypocritical on the part of the tribes? The tribes have their own sovereign nations where they are not held to any of the rules and regulations that the rest of Americans, because tribal members are Americans, but the rest of America has to abide by all kinds of rules and regulations. And believe me, my experience is the tribes never mind enforcing their own rules. Because, well, I can tell you, on rafting trips down the Deschutes River, you're frequently reminded you can fish from this side of the bank, but if you swim over to the other side and fish from there, that is tribal territory. Therefore, don't you dare do it. They will arrest you. They'll take your fishing gear. They'll write you a citation. 
They enforce their own borders. And now all of a sudden the Ogallala Sioux is unhappy because one of America's governors is saying we ought to have a border that we enforce. And the tribes are saying we'll enforce our own borders, but how dare you suggest that America should enforce its external borders. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, I got to tell you something. I know illegal aliens are in the news a lot, but consider this. A brand new report out about how Washington State spent literally billions of dollars of so-called COVID relief money from the American Rescue Plan. $340 million of it in the state of Washington was paid out to illegal aliens who were not eligible to receive the money. Imagine that. They have all this money. They have so much money, they're giving it away to illegal aliens. So, Jay Inslee and his government that paid out $340 million, more than a third of a billion dollars, was paid out to illegal aliens in violation of the law that allowed that. And how'd they pay it out? They wrote $1,000 checks to illegal aliens in the state of Washington. Uh, the program began near the beginning of the pandemic. It has now wrapped up. But the funds were approved by the state legislature. Another round of funding for undocumented Washingtonians. That's how they're using your money. And just remember that the next time they ask you for a tax increase. Andrew writes in, Lars, those geniuses in Olympia at the state legislature want to control what kind of tires you put on your car. The new mantra is save the planet is roll resistance. The safest, grippiest tires you prefer in our rainy environment don't measure up to our political demands. Don't forget, the new cars are more expensive to fix after an accident, and this is going to do nothing to keep insurance costs stable. In what bubble do our elected officials dwell, where safety takes a backseat to their climate agenda? Only an idiot would think this latest scheme is a good idea, and yet it sees the light of day. While too many Washingtonians hibernate mentally during the winter legislative session, the pol politicians are very active. Will the citizens arise from their slumber before the damage is done? If you want to change the Senate, you have to change the senator. How much stupidity will the people tolerate before it becomes clear to them that we're off track and on the road to ruin? And again, we no longer have the tires we want and need to keep us safe, signed Andrew. To your calls now. It's a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network. And uh, Gary goes first. Hey, Gary, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yes, thank you. Um, the idea that you hear a lot of uh, other talk shows, and I won't mention any names, but there, many of them are on this station. And so they say the reason they want to let illegal aliens into the country is so they'll vote Democrat. Yep. I don't know where they're getting this from, that they're going to I reward um, Democrats by voting by voting Democrat once they're in the country. They're conservative, socially conservative. They're anti-abortion. They're anti-gay this, gay that. They're absolutely conservative people. And once they get in the country and start working and get it, they're not coming here for welfare and this. They're coming here to, to you know, and if that, that's another point. It doesn't matter. Gary, what I'll beg to, let me beg to differ and give country. you an answer to your question. The numbers don't pan out. It's gonna I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you an answer to your question, Gary. Number one, Hispanic voters have traditionally voted in, more, in majorities for Democrats. Black voters do the same thing. Now, black voters are starting to wise. There's a okay. huge base of Latino Gary, Trump supporters. They Gary, were let in the country under Bush. 
They were led Gary. into the country. Hold under on, Trump. you're talking what about people who came in. Reward de- Democrats. It sounds like Gary doesn't want an answer. Gary just convinced Gary. I'm telling you, this is why the Democrats want the illegals here. What those illegals, they the ones that destroy have... the country, is why they want them here. They want us to all be poor. And, I, and I know Gary doesn't want to hear that answer, so I'll tell you what. Houses. I'm going to put what? the hold on Gary. Gary, here's the answer. When 10 million illegals come into the country, they say, who let us in? Democrats. Who gave us welfare? Democrats. Who provided for us housing, food, medical care, and transportation? That would be Democrats. Who wants to kick us out of the country? That would be Republicans and conservatives. If you don't think that illegal aliens, not the ones that came in decades ago under George W. or George Herbert Walker Bush, or even during Obama or Clinton, if you don't think the most recent arrivals are going to stay loyal to the Democrats, they would be disloyal to the very people who put food in front of them and a roof over their heads, and that's not likely. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Your community. Do you realize you can literally have Lars with you all day, every day? Podcasts at Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and live right now. What a time to be alive. Here's Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and live on the Radio Northwest Network. That's 26 radio stations in three states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And what we do with those stations is we endeavor to serve the region with honestly provocative talk. Our poll on X today, should Oregon adopt a statewide property tax to fund public safety? This would be the one where they impose a statewide property tax. It's administered by the state legislature, which means if you happen to live in one of the least populous counties in the state, which is about thir- uh, six or 30 out of the 36 counties are the ones with the small populations. The other six are the ones who call the shots. The three Portland metro counties, uh, Marion County around the state capital and Salem and Kaiser. And then, of course, Lane County for Eugene and Springfield. Maybe even Jackson County as well. You might make it seven. That leaves 29 other counties where the statewide property tax would be decided by not you. That's what they want to do. And what are they wanting for? Public safety? This is basically so they can bail out the city of Portland. The city of Portland, which brought its own crime problems on itself by bad management, and now they want to have a statewide property tax because all property taxes now are done at the county level. And they are decided by county-level voters. Instead, have it decided in Salem, it'll really be decided in downtown Portland. And as our friends at the Taxpayers Association point out, it'll throw a lot of seniors and disabled people out of their homes because they won't be able to afford it. It'll make Oregon's affordable housing crisis even more unaffordable, which will give Tina Kotek another excuse to take even more money because the state somehow is going to build affordable housing when the private sector can't. It'll make Oregon literally one of the higher property tax states in all of America. It'll make housing unaffordable for young first-time buyers, and it will encourage endless taxation because to pass a statewide property tax, they're going to have to remove a constitutional protection and limit from it. So 
Do you want to do something like that? Should Oregon adopt a statewide property tax to fund public safety? My answer to that would be no. You can vote on it at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website, and it's always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, on Friday, First Amendment Friday, I asked you where Capitol Police right to drop all charges for uh, congressional staffers who are having sex inside our Capitol and putting it on video. 95% said they were wrong to drop the charges. Only 5% of you said they were right. Let me go first to Laura in Hillsborough, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Laura, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, hey, Lars. I was calling today because you've talked several times about voting in Arizona and registration of illegal aliens, not to vote in local elections, but national elections. Yep. And that is that legal? I mean, how can they do that? Well, I can tell you how they can do it, Laura. Uh, just to refresh everybody's memory, if you didn't hear me, because this one really, I think, is the best example of where illegal aliens are going to be used. State of Arizona says if you are an Arizona resident and an American citizen and you want to register to vote, you come down, you register, and you show them proof that you are a citizen. Green card holders can't vote. Foreign nationals can't vote. Even somebody who's a green card holder who may become a citizen someday, you can't vote. But what Arizona said out loud in front of God and everybody is if you come in and you don't have proof that you're a citizen, we will sign you up to vote. But you are only allowed to vote in what they call federal elections, meaning you can only vote in the presidential election elections for the Senate and the House of Representatives in D.C. Well, Not what's that's that what I hear. But how can they do that and not? face some consequences isn't it illegal for illegals to vote in a national yeah, election yes it is and laura let well, me tell you how it works yeah i can tell you how they can do it when you signed your voter reg card you might or might not have read the fine print under your signature but it says on it if you have falsified any of this or if you are not a citizen and you are attempting to sign up to vote you can be prosecuted it's a felony federal prosecution if you sign up to vote and you're not eligible and you say well that must keep everybody from doing it you mean like the laws against heroin or cocaine keep people from using heroin or cocaine that's problem number one problem number two on friday we talked about the fact that the clark county prosecutor tony golick he has a case of a woman who acknowledges she has been voting in elections for 24 years, not quite a quarter century. She also acknowledges she is a foreign national. She also acknowledges that she knows it's illegal for her to vote. And you know what her comment was? I didn't think I would get in trouble for it. And sure enough, mm -hmm. she's not going to be prosecuted for voting illegally for the last 24 years. So if you say, what keeps them, isn't it illegal? The answer is yes. What, you know, what's supposed to keep them from voting illegally? That little piece of paper that says, if you sign this and you're not legally eligible to vote, you're breaking the law. Except that if nobody ever gets prosecuted for it, does anybody follow a rule that nobody enforces? So how, how are we, how is, are we going to ever have a Republican win, especially the general election, when they can just cheat and nothing, there's no consequences? The, there have been a number of lawsuits, Laura. I mean, Mark Thielman is behind some of the lawsuits to try to get an audit of Oregon elections. Washington should have the same. Because if you don't audit those elections, you don't find out 
about all the illegal votes. I mean, today we know. I mean, two weeks ago, we had a gentleman on who works for a data processing company that does a lot of data mining, basically, for candidates. You know, if you went to run an election, you said, uh, you know, where can I find more of this kind of voter or that kind of voter? He can go into all that data. What he decided to do a few years ago, right after the 2020 election, was he wanted to look and see how, how many people voted who no longer lived at the address where they were registered to vote. And in Georgia, which is where he was doing this, they're very tough about it. They say, Laura, if you lived in an address and then you said, well, I need to move, I'm going to sell my house or I'm going to rent a new apartment, and you moved to a different location, you have 30 days grace to change your voter registration. If you vote after those 30 days have gone by and you have not updated your registration to the new address, your vote is illegal. Now, in that state, he found 35,000 votes that were cast illegally by people well, who did not. Exactly what I'm talking about. And there's no consequences. I mean, we've got cases, as you say, in the courts, but the courts are not, you know, acting well, very quickly. Well, but guess what, and Laura? Once the election's over and they certify it, it's done, right? But Laura, Laura, you're right. And I think this time around, the Trump organization is going to be a lot more proactive and they're going to act more quickly because there was clearly a cheat in 2020. But the other thing you have to do, Tony Golick, for example, is the Clark County prosecutor. He's an elected official. And if, if enough people say, hey, you have a approved, admitted, confessed case of a woman who voted illegally, and you've just told her and everybody else who's listening, you're not going to prosecute it. So in other words, is that a, a wide open signal to everybody who, wa- who wants to vote illeg- uh, illegally that they're allowed to do it because the prosecutor won't prosecute? You know what you could do with Tony Golick? Vote for anybody else who will come in and, and run against him. Do the same thing with governors. Do the same thing with all of these. Because with well, 10 as million... Long as, they're, as long as they're counting the votes correctly, which I don't think they are. I don't think so, they are like either. Said, illegals are caught, and you can't catch it fast enough. Well, they're going to have to this time around. But one of the reasons I talk about it is so people know. So Tony Golick, prosecutor... Uh, who, who's done all kinds of other, he's done at least one other political prosecution that I know of, of John Lee. And then when it comes to somebody voting illegally, Tony Golick announces, I'm not going to charge her with a crime, even though she confessed to the crime. Thanks for the call, Laura. It's a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos.
and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. up before you are weeding out the right from the wrong this is the lars larson show there's some people in your orbit who are either voting for Donald trump or considering it for sure a lot of my friends are obviously my age so we're a little younger we've only voted once you know for for a president and trump is kind of all we know and they're kind of trump and biden they're like well we were broke with biden we weren't with Trump. And that's kind of the only thing that I'm hearing over and over again, over and over again, is that well, Trump, we had money. Well, okay. Well, okay. That is a black voter talking to MSNBC when MSNBC decided to do what a lot of news organizations do. I mean, it's kind of a secret of the trade. If you say, we want to sample black opinion, you know where they go? They go to a barber shop and they're talking to people and saying, hey, you're going to vote Trump or Biden. Well, we only know one or two. Uh, we, we know Trump because we voted for him. We're young people and we know Biden. And under Trump, we had money in our pocket and under Biden, we got none. So. What do you think they're going to do? That's why an awful lot of the political landscape is shifting right out from under Joe Biden and right in favor of Donald Trump. To your calls now, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day on the Radio Northwest Network at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let me go to Ron in Tacoma, listening on the network and on KVI. Hey, Ron, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? There's a big warning coming out from the airlines that uh, travelers are getting measles and other foreign diseases that haven't been in the United States in many years. Yep. So I'm just wondering. I understand that the that the, uh, the Democrats seem to have uh, uh, the ability to be uh, superhumans. They can't be charged with crimes. They can't uh, be responsible for anything. But, you know, the airlines are quite a different thing. So I'm thinking that maybe... Uh, the American public should start suing all the airlines for these diseases, the cough. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's about time we start holding private corporations and companies responsible for colluding with corrupt politicians. Okay, but let me try something on you, Ron. Do you know what direction that goes? The people in government, some of them, and the airlines will see this as an open opportunity say, okay, we're going to take steps to make sure that people do not bring diseases, especially ones that are as communicable as measles. I mean, measles is notoriously airborne. It means that if you go visit somebody who's got the measles and you don't, you're not either uh, immune from having had it or immune from vaccination, you walk in the same room, have a conversation ten feet away, in you know, at somebody's home, uh, you may you may end up with measles. But the problem is, one of the first places that's going to go is they're going to say, you see. We need to have a vaccine passport for everybody. So before you get on the airplane, show us your vaccine passport and what you're vaccinated for. They would take that as an open invitation to do exactly that. It would also mean that what you're saying to the airline is you're not just responsible for transporting me from A to B safely, but you are in charge of vetting everybody else on that airplane. Now, do you think the, the, uh, the, the airline is responsible for that? 
Uh, well, the airline's responsible for it because they're allowing this to occur. Well, but hold on. Uh, What's the way to stop it? No, tell me if you're running. Let's put you in charge of Alaska Airlines right now. You're the CEO and chairman of the board. How would you stop it? I would stop colluding with the government, go back to the way we used to run our, com co our, uh, our company, and stay out of the collusion, and therefore no, you're not... No, but hold on. You're using so collusion, Ron, but tell me you're the head of the airline. You know that there are people getting on who are illegal aliens. You know that there are people who came into this country with no vetting whatsoever. People who come in Absolutely. legally are vetted very carefully. People who come in illegally are not vetted very carefully at all as to you know what they're immunized for, what they've been exposed to, or anything else. So how's the airline supposed to do it? Go back to the original process, which means you got to be an American citizen. We're not going to allow you on the plane. Could we allow a lot of people who are... Point. No, hold on, Ron. You're starting to talk about things that aren't true. When you get on an airplane, is everybody on that airplane a citizen? No. Okay, some of them are foreign nationals who are traveling in America legitimately, right? Well, yeah, and some of them seem to be illegals being transported. Yes, and who made that happen? Did, did Alaska Airlines make that happen, or did Joe Biden make that happen? Well, I believe uh, Alaska Airlines, if they're doing it, they made it happen. They're a private company, and they don't. No, hold on. How do, how does Alaska Airlines keep Joe Biden from allowing millions, ten thousand illegals a day to cross the border? How do they stop that? Well, they don't stop that, but the airports and the airlines can stop it. They have the control of their well, own. The care. airports are run by the government, so it's a government problem largely. And when when you if you present yourself at SeaTac and you say I want to get on an airplane. TSA will check to see that you have picture ID, unless you're an illegal alien, in which case you're allowed to board without picture ID. And that is a government problem. Now, when Alaska Airlines says, for example, uh, I've got a passenger here, they pass through TSA, they've got a paid-for ticket, what reason would they give for refusing that person a seat? I'm, I'm giving you all the opportunity you need. Tell me what Alaska would do to say, no, not him. It's against the law, and it's against the policy. What's which law? Uh, well, it's against our immigration law. Yeah, but is Alaska Airlines in charge of enforcing America's immigration laws, or is Joe Biden? Uh, Joe Biden is, but they are right. they are responsible for their passengers and their aircraft. And if the government is creating the problem, then they should be able to... Then you need to solve it by changing what the government does, which apparently the Republicans are not in any mood to do right now. Back in a moment, you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. 
Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday on the Radio Northwest Network, and it's always my pleasure to be with you. Uh, glad to have you on the show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here. Our poll on X used to be called Twitter. At Lars Larson Show, should Oregon adopt a statewide property tax to fund public safety? I'd say no. I've explained my reasons. You can vote no on that as well. Or yes, we'll take naysayer calls anytime you like. You can find it at Lars Larson Show. But that's exactly what Democrats in Salem are proposing. HJR 201 would create Oregon's first statewide property tax and use it to fund public safety. I think the practical effect of that will be that out of Oregon's 36 counties, 30 of them will be paying more in property taxes uh, to fund the law enforcement that's not being done in the other six counties. That's generally how it's going to work out. So it's basically a wealth transfer from the poorest, most rural areas of the state and the region into the most affluent parts of the region. And if you like that kind of thing, you probably vote Democrat. Speaking of Democrats, my friend, former prosecutor Josh Marquis joins me now. Josh, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you. And I hadn't heard about that particularly bad idea. Um, there'd be a couple things I think people should be very wary about. I suspect that law enforcement or public, I'm sorry, public safety is probably a very expansive definition and probably goes to fund things not like police officers and sheriff's office. And the other part that makes no sense is that the only law enforcement funded by the state of Oregon um, is basically the state police and the salaries of the 36 district attorneys. District attorneys in the state of Oregon are all funded by the counties and county property taxes already paid. Which means, and I was explaining to a young lady a little while ago, she said, what do we do about prosecutors who won't prosecute? I said, they are elected officials. Remember that at the next election, because we gave the example Friday of a prosecutor in Clark County, Tony Golick, who has a case of a woman who admits she voted illegally for 24 years. She's a foreign national. She admits she's a foreign national. She admits she registered to vote. She admits she knew it was against the law to do so. And she said, uh, and when she was asked, why'd you do it anyway? She said, because I didn't think I'd get in trouble. And as it turns out, with a Democrat prosecutor like Tony Golick, uh, she isn't going to get in any trouble. She's not being indicted for anything, even though she's clearly committed a number of felonies by doing that for the last almost quarter century. Now, in Oregon, of course, she couldn't be prosecuted by a local prosecutor because in Oregon, the only person who can prosecute people for voting violations is the attorney general who's a Democrat. By the way, I know you're a Democrat, Josh, and I kid you about yep, that all the time. Would you say the Democrats are willing to cheat and break the law to win? Well, I certainly think what I thought we were going to talk about is oh, we're getting there. what's happened with Measure 113. When we say the Democrats, if we're talking about the current Oregon Democratic Party that controls both the House and Senate, 
I think they're playing very dirty. And, and, I, and I think it is important to note here that I am a Democrat. I've been an active Democrat all my life. I used to actually attend both state and national conventions as a delegate. And I, I believe, as many of people like me believe, that the Oregon Democratic Party has gone so far to the left that those of us who considered ourselves centrist are considered so far right-wing and outside the Democratic Party that, the, that we're no longer welcome in any way. This is uh, the point where you were, were having made that confession, Josh, where you announced that you're leaving the party altogether. Well, if I did that, I'd, I'd probably become a small eye independent. But I don't. One of the things that is horrifying to me about this recent decision by the Oregon Supreme Court, which it's important for your listeners to understand, I've heard people say, well, you know, the Republicans can always appeal that to the U.S. Supreme Court. They can't. No, they can't. Nope. This is based on Oregon law. And so the Oregon Supreme Court is the final and last decision on it. Now, the, one of the things I think is bizarre is that in many of the mainstream media stories about this decision, they, they've said 10 senators. No, the entire Republican caucus has been disenfranchised and yep. has been. Well, and, and if this was on the other foot, if, if Democratic uh, representatives were being essentially thrown out of office for something that, you know, just 20 years ago, Kate Brown, who was leading, was the state Senate president. I'm sorry, she was the state Senate minority leader because the Republicans and she led a walkout. And the Republicans at that point, I'm sure they were upset about it. I don't like many of the senators, Republican senators, who are going to be cut off from election. But it's not a question of whether I like them or whether I vote for them. I did the tally. There were 500,000 votes for the 10 senators who now can no longer seek election. Yep. In other words, the state but, has but, said but Josh, we don't Josh, care about their vote. I want to get something much more basic. I don't know if you've read what Measure 113 did. But it was it was written by a lawyer, and it was written badly, and it wrote it was they, they wrote badly. I agree they they wrote something that they didn't mean to write, and I've tried to make it simple for people. Do you remember the definition of why we vote for president or what how the date the day of the week is determined every year uh, or every four years? No, I, I, it's, I it's, it, it sounds so con it <laughs> sounds so convoluted because the Constitution says the presidential election shall be held every four years on the first Tuesday following a Monday in November. And you say, well, that sounds comp Why don't they just say the first Tuesday in November? And they said, because sometimes the first Tuesday in November it's does not fall. It's the first of the month. And they said, we don't want it on that date. We want it on the first Tuesday following a Monday. I compare the wording of 113 to that. When they wrote it, they intended, uh, I guess, the, the folks who wrote it, intended for it to mean you're immediately disqualified from running. But as, as they wrote it, as you know, sometimes they write, and I've talked to John DiLorenzo, the guy who fought the case before the Supreme Court, on right. the, the state Supreme Court, and he said, look, they thought they were writing this. They didn't. They wrote it badly. They didn't have another lawyer write it and say, hey, you wrote something other than what you intended to write. Should the Supreme Court have cheated in this case? And I think they did cheat. I'd say it to their faces. These these Democrat appointed Supreme Court justices who decided that's not what the law actually says. They wrote it wrong. But we're going to we're going to put in what we think the law was intended to say. Have you ever heard 
of a judge making that kind of decision before the law says this, but I'm going to do something else because that was what well, the intent was. Well, unfortunately, yes. I mean, you're talking to a lawyer, and the fact of the matter is until about 10 years ago in Oregon, um, they used what we called the PGE standard. It referred to a case involving Portland uh, General Electric, and the issue was not how it's you, you, you interpreted the law literally by exactly how it was written. And, and they diverted from this about 2010 and stopped doing that. And although that was a frustrating standard, at least that standard was, look, it doesn't matter. You don't, the minute you start interpreting, well, we really meant to do this or really meant to do that. I am confident, for example, that the voters of Oregon, who in 2020 voted 58% in favor of Measure 110, did not intend the result that has descended upon the state. I think you're absolutely right. That's former DA Josh Marquis. In a moment, I'm going to talk about a man who hunted down a child predator and killed him. And what would you do with him if you sat on the jury? We'll get to that next. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. On demand, wherever and whenever you want it. Get the podcast all day, every day at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. What would you do with a man who hunts down a pedophile and then kills him if you were sitting on the jury? That's the question that kind of occurred to me over the weekend when I saw this report out of Texas, and I wanted to share it with you. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, We'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our poll on X. We put up a brand new question each and every day. We write it from the news of the day, so we try to keep it as fresh as possible. And then I'll get to your phone calls in just a moment. Never forget that this program for more than a quarter century has always put naysayers right to the head of the line. So let me tell you about the story. A guy by the name of James Spencer III, 24-year-old man, a Texas resident, what he did, and we don't know anything more about his background because I'm curious. I'm willing to bet that there's a backstory in there somewhere. But James Spencer III 
went online and he posed as a child, a minor, a legal minor, and lured a convicted sex offender to his death because he thought that law enforcement was not doing enough to keep pedophiles in prison. And I would tend to agree with him about that, that an awful lot of uh, you know law enforcement either has its hands tied by its political masters, whether it's uh, the county sheriff or the city police chief, uh, or whether it's the courts or the cops or the prosecutors, whoever it happens to be. The whole system seems to be engineered in such a way to just ignore these things when they go on. And for the life of me, I don't understand why that is. But let me tell you the details on this. So what he did, he... Uh, he got in touch with Sean Connery Showers. I, weird name, but his name is Sean Connery Showers, 37 years old. And he was on a messaging app called Kick. And what he did, James Spencer posed as an underage individual. And the two had planned to meet up. Some of their messages were, in fact, sexual in nature, according to the local news reports. So he figures out how to get this guy to meet up with him and uh, a third party had actually told uh, reporters that he believed uh, that Spencer believed the police were not doing enough to keep pedophiles incarcerated and that Spencer wanted to hurt these men because they would do bad things to little kids and other people and he knew how to track them by an app on his phone. A month later, the defendant made the same comment that if the cops are not going to do anything, maybe he should kill them himself. Now, I feel it necessary to mention at this point have I ever advocated vigilantism? No, I haven't. Uh, do I think that people should take the law into their own hands? No, I haven't done that either. But I'll tell you what has occurred to me lately. When I see all of these cases from around the country and even the area where I live, where there are people who do bad things, and in the case of doing bad things to children, that has to be some of the worst. So an honest man goes out and hunts down and then deliberately kills a man with a convicted record of child pornography. He was also a sex offender required to register under the law, who apparently didn't bother to register either. And a man who, because of this conversation, believed that he was meeting up with a child to have sex with the child. And there is no doubt in my mind that the killer broke the law. But the question that occurs to me is, if you were on the jury, because this guy will end up, if he doesn't cut a plea deal, he'll end up in a trial, and there will be a jury. If you were sitting on the jury, would you vote to convict him of murder? Because that's what murder is, the deliberate killing of another human being. Manslaughter is something else. Negligent homicide is something else. But murder is when you deliberately do something to end somebody's life. Or, as a member of that jury, would you consider it a PSA, a public service assassination? Now, I have always believed that people should not take the law into their own hands. But I will tell you, and I've expressed this concern to others over the last several years, uh, going all the way back really to a little bit before the death of George Floyd, when we hear mobs in the streets saying, defund the police, and we see prosecutors getting elected who are elected in part with money from George Soros and other liberals like them who say we shouldn't be putting people in prison. Now, they've done this in many cases legally. They get a prosecutor elected who gets elected on the pledge not to prosecute serious criminals. I believe that the police should act. But lately, they don't, usually because they have their hands tied by politicians. I believe the DAs should prosecute, but they won't. 
because, again, many of them have run for the office on the promise that they're going to prosecute as little as they possibly can. I believe that the courts should actually lock people like this guy up. The guy who was killed, Sean Connery Showers, 37 years old. But the, the, the courts seem to defer as well. They find every excuse in the book. The most recent one, of course, is the case involving four illegal aliens in New York City who beat a couple of cops. They didn't kill the cops, thank God. But they beat them down in broad daylight in Times Square. It was on video. If you want to see the video, you can see it. It is painful to watch. And then you saw a judge decide that they should simply be released without any bail whatsoever. And predictably, what did these illegal aliens do? They went to a social service agency. They lied about who they were. They got on a bus and they fled to California. Now, they'll probably eventually be caught. They'll probably eventually be returned to New York City. But then the question becomes, what do you suppose is going to happen to them? I believe that prison should confine these people. But lately, they've been cutting loose literally thousands of bad criminals. So tell me what citizens should do. Given all those circumstances, do you feel a little bit of sympathy toward James Spencer III? I do, because I understand his frustration. I'm also wondering whether somewhere in his background there isn't some indication that maybe he was the victim of a child pedof uh, of a, a pedophile who went out and preyed on children. We don't know. I don't know if that's what was driving him or not. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do to him. Uh, it made me think of a case involving this is now almost 40 years ago it was march in 40 years ago in 1984 and there was a, a man who had a child a uh, young boy and the boy was taking karate lessons and it turned out that his karate instructor was molesting him and then at one point the karate instu instructor before the parents found out what was going on took this child got in a car and drove to another state and then molested the boy some more when that guy was finally caught they were bringing him back to face justice. And do you know what the dad did? The dad stood at a bank of payphones. That tells you it was 40 years ago. And he waited until this pedophile who'd been molesting his son was walking by. And he shot the guy in the head. Guy lasted for about a day and then finally died. Do you know what the court system did to him? No jail time. No prison time. Some probation and about 300 hours of community service. So the community sent a message. And I'm wondering, at what point do those messages become even louder than they are right now? Because you understand, a lot of us are very, very frustrated by what's going on. Police who won't or can't arrest. Prosecutors who refuse to prosecute. Courts that refuse to convict and refuse to send people off to prison sentences that will actually correct their behavior and send a message that society doesn't tolerate this anymore. Or we could just say, well, we have a system of justice. It doesn't work for the law-abiding people. It does work for the bad guys, and we're just going to have to live with it until our lives are ended, in some cases, prematurely. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. To all the wokey snowflakes, yes, you are probably going to be offended. 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you with me. And if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our fresh daily question on X. You can find it at Lars Larson Show. And if you don't like X, formerly Twitter, you can go to our website at LarsLarson.com. You've heard my take on this crazy border deal uh, that has been cooked up allegedly by alleged Republicans, and I think it's a terrible deal right out of the gate. But I wanted to get all the particulars about it. So Ryan Walker joins me now, Executive Vice President for Heritage Action. Ryan, good to have you back. Thanks for having me on. Is the deal as bad as I think it is? And let's start with this. Does it essentially legalize the illegal entry of 5,000 illegal aliens every day? It does. This bill, as we've seen the text roll out uh, since last night, the text is very clear. And the senators who have negotiated this uh, are unable to push back on this claim. The text itself codifies 5,000 a day before the administration would be required to act in any capacity. And that's 1.85 million people across the southern border before the administration has to do a single thing. Now, the thing about this is I understand there are people who look at things in relative terms and they say, well, it's now 10 or 12,000 a day, depending on the day, 300,000 or so every month. So 5,000 a day would be better than 10,000 a day. I guess in, in the same way that drowning in 100 feet of water is better than drowning in 200 feet of water. But you're still drowning, aren't you? Oh, I totally agree. It's like saying your a kitchen fire is better than a complete house fire. I, I, listen, Jay Johnson. Oh, that's a Joe Biden Obama, reference, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Jay Johnson and the Obama administration considered a thousand illegal immigrants a national crisis. They wanted to declare an emergency at the southern border over a thousand illegal immigrants a day, five thousand a day, with the exemptions that are uh, allowed in this bill, like unaccompanied children. Uh, and others who are exempted from that 5,000 number, like anyone claiming asylum, uh, creates a, a scenario where you could see well north of 5,000 people coming in a day before, again, the administration has to act at all. Because literally, if 4,999 illegals show up at the border on Tuesday and they have 2,000 kids with them, you know, which wouldn't be uncommon, uh, that those seven or almost 7,000, 6,999 could walk into America and we'd say, well, the new law doesn't kick in just yet because because we haven't eclipsed 5,000 alone. It has to be 5,000, not counting this group, that group, and all the kids that are coming in, right? Absolutely. And if they say that it's a seven-day running average. So the cartels could very easily game the system. Uh, they are, uh, after all, they have control of that area at the southern border, uh, and they could look at the text of this legislation, and they could game their entrance and their trafficking into the United States to be under that threshold. And what's even worse is that once that threshold is met, let's assume that it is, the text of the legislation still requires, requires the administration to process in 1,500 illegal immigrants per day. It requires that. So our question to the negotiators is, does that mean the Department of Homeland Security has to then go out and search for people if they do fail to meet that minimum number? Uh, so these are the questions that we have about this bill. Okay, and by the way, uh, one of the other pieces of this, 
all unaccompanied children under the age of 14 would get a free American taxpayer-funded lawyer to represent them? That's absolutely right. We're going to pay for the legal services of these individuals to claim asylum for a whole host of issues that shouldn't be allowed. Uh, they don't have a credible fear or, or threat of persecution in their home country. But this administration will relax those standards and allow them to come in. And we're going to grant another quarter million new visas over the next five years if this deal comes together. I, I, I got to tell you something, Ryan, because all of last week and part of the week before that, I was watching Senator Langford, who's allegedly a Republican, and I'd say that to his face, say, well, no, no, don't don't prejudge it based on what you're hearing about it, except that everything we heard about it was exactly what it ended up being. How in the world are they getting Republicans or alleged Republicans like Langford to stand this deal up and say, look, this is the best we can get? Well, honestly, it's a question that we all have. We genuinely do not understand the interest of, of a, a senator like Senator Langford. Now, if you think about Senator McConnell and some of the others in the Senate who are really interested in passing $60 billion for Ukraine, uh, a, a whole set of billions for the Indo-Pacific, and, and more funding for these crises abroad, uh, you can sort of tell what their, their motivation is. Uh, but for someone like Senator Langford or someone who's not connected to these conversations around Ukraine funding or any of the other funding that will go abroad to these conflicts, uh, there is a genuine uh, shock uh, to the American people, to, to folks in, even in Washington, D.C., uh, to say, why are they a part of this? Uh, it is it's simply uh, it's, it's baffling. So can we at least conclude this thing's dead on arrival and not one where they say, well, we'll we'll kind of fix around the edges and we'll we'll trim it up a little bit and then it'll be acceptable. I mean, this thing's so far from acceptable. I don't see any way that they didn't know that this thing was dead before it even arrived on Capitol Hill. Did they? Well, I. Yeah, I, I do think it is on, dead on arrival. You've seen Speaker Johnson, uh, in fact, his entire leadership team, uh, the, the whip from the House of Representatives, along with the majority leader and the conference chair, Elise Stefanik, have said they aren't even going to bring this bill up for a vote. Uh, and, and this speaks to this broader problem. For the first time in legislative history, we have language in a bill that codifies that the Department of Homeland Security shall release immigrants into the United States and not detain them. It requires that the Department of Homeland Security release potential terrorists, cartel members, members of the Chinese Communist Party into the country uh, to show up for a future court date that may or may not come. And good luck finding those individuals, because the second you let them off, they're gone. Well, I mean, look what happened in New York. I told my audience that you've got two cops beat down literally and figuratively to the pavement by four illegal aliens, one of whom already has other outstanding criminal accusations, and they're released without bail. And I'm sure their conditions of release said, and don't leave town. And they immediately hopped on a bus and headed for California. There's no control out there anywhere. That's right. And, and the problem is even worse, really, when you look at how these individuals operate. They will operate in a city like New York. They will conduct crimes in a city like New York. That's a sanctuary city that has uh, no bail uh, legislation, uh, things of this nature, because they know they'll get off. They'll never go to prison. They'll never serve time. They'll never be deported. Uh, so they 
conduct crimes in New York City, and then they travel down to Florida to spend their money. But they come back to New York City because they know they won't be arrested. The difference? Florida enforces the law. New York City doesn't. So it's clear that they respond to incentives. One last thing. Speaking of incentives, so Friday, Mayor Eric Adams of New York City says, hey, we're being overrun by illegals, and he's begging for relief. And then he announces we're going to give every illegal alien family $1,000 cash every 28 days, like he's putting out more cheese. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. They're closing down schools in Brooklyn uh, to house illegal immigrants, sending kids back onto Zoom so that they can further uh, degrade their education. Uh, this, they have sold out the American people uh, for a population that has no interest in being a part of our great national experiment. That's what it sounds like. Ryan, thank you very much. That's Ryan Walker with Heritage Action. It's a pleasure to be with you. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. The voice of the people. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to give full credit for this to my buddy Ari Hoffman up in Seattle. He's on our Seattle affiliate station, KVI. But what he's found is, and this was the bulletin he sent to me, after reviewing hundreds of hours of social media and video footage, the Washington State Patrol is said to be preparing the documentation to charge six pro-Hamas activists, so I would call them pro-terrorist activists, for blockading Interstate 5 last month. Another 10 are still being investigated. Now, I'll reach out to Washington State Patrol. Uh, lately, we've not had that much luck with WSP, but I'd like to know whether or not they are getting ready to hand over the information to prosecutors so you can go after some of these pro-terrorist protesters, and for what? 
for the crime of blocking Interstate 5 last month in this protest. Another 10 under investigation. We'll let you know whether or not that develops anything. But great credit to my friend Ari Hoffman. Now, this segment of the show is brought to you by the home power generating folks at ProTech Power. You know what it's like. We've had snowstorms and we've had them recently and the power goes out. Make sure your loved ones are safe. When the power goes out, call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. Let's go to a Mike. Mike, you heard me talking about that guy in Texas who hunted down the pedophile and then killed him. If you were sitting on the jury before you make your comments, if you were sitting on the jury and he was charged with murder, would you vote to convict him? Boy, that's a that's a tough question, Lars. I mean, uh, you know, my gut says no, but I also I'm with you. I don't want a country full of vigilantes, um, but I'd have a hard time, you know, throwing the book at him. I guess, you know, what I so wanted I. to say was was that I, I read somewhere that there's over a million people that are sex, sex trafficked in America today. So this is a, a really big problem that our country has. I believe and that's true. That's probably that, about I right. And I, I don't I don't believe that our, our officials are doing enough to stop it. There, there's got to be a bigger affront to this. They're treating about, about like they do our borders, as in your last segment. You know, they're just not doing much of anything. I guess I would answer your question with maybe another question, and okay. I know this isn't exactly parallel, but what if I, I just came from the bank a little while ago, what if I were in the bank and I happened to be standing in there and somebody else tried to rob that bank and I shot that person and killed him? Should we, should we you know, would people, should we punish people for, for saving lives in a case like that? I mean, this guy had every intention, it sounds like, of molesting children, and this fellow just stopped him from committing crimes. See, and I mean, I'm with you and Mike. The, you know what the jury would would one of the issues they'd have to consider because I'm not a lawyer and I always remind people of that. But generally, they'd have to say, "Did you feel your life was at risk? You're staying in the bank. A robber walks in. He sticks a gun in somebody in the teller's face and tells uh, the teller, put all this money in a bag.' And if he's got a gun." Uh, and it's out, and it's pointed at a human being, You, I think any reasonable jury would look at that and say, you could reasonably believe that your life was at risk as well. The guy might want to leave without witnesses. And and you say, now that he's pointed a gun at somebody, I think you've got a, you've got a reason to protect yourself by acting in a reasonable way. And that's usually the reasonable man uh, idea is the one the prosecutor is going to go off of. Now, does that mean you're not going to get charged with, say, manslaughter or with murder for shooting the guy, they may charge you, but then you can make the, uh, you know, the self-defense argument. I believed at that moment when the robber pulled his gun out, he was likely to shoot the teller and shoot me too, and you killed him. In, the case, in this case, it's tougher because the guy who hunted down the pedo, and I remind people, this guy had a conviction for child pornography. He was required as a convicted sex offender against children to register as a sex offender. He did not register as a sex offender, but he believed that he was meeting a child for the purpose of sex when he met up with this guy. And uh, was this guy defending the community? I'd argue that he was. And I hope he pulls a self-defense or a, you know, uh, uh, I guess choice of evils defense. Says, look, I went out and I hunted down a pedophile. And the man I talked about from 40 years ago, the man who killed the, the, the guy who had molested his child, the karate instructor, the fact that he got no prison time, no jail time, uh, probation, and some community service, um, 
is kind of instructive about what some communities would do with a case like that. Not all of them, but some of them. Mike, thanks for the call. Let's go to Greg. Hey, Greg, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I got a question. Like, if you're a private company, can't you refuse service to any customer because you're a private company? So say these people are getting on the, the plane illegally, can't yep. Alaska, because it's a private company, say we're, we're refusing service to you because you're you're a danger to our company? Yeah, I would argue yes, but here's where you're going to get in trouble, Greg. If Alaska or any other airline said, we're going to start refusing service to any of these illegal aliens, the ones that are getting on with a special TSA ignores the fact that you have no picture ID and they truly don't know who you are. Uh, Alaska could do that. What ethnicity is going to be the majority of the flyers that Alaska then refuses? I mean, you can call racism, but it's not about racism. It's not. Well, about I understand that, but but you understand. I'm just I'm just making it clear that Alaska is going to face somebody who's going to say you're refusing a a large percentage of the people you're refusing are Hispanic, and that's one of the few categories that if you're Hispanic and a business says we don't wait, you know, we don't provide service to people, and most of the people you say no to are Hispanic, you find yourself in a lawsuit real quick, and you're probably going to lose. Plus, you're going to get all the bad publicity. To the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self direct IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big soldier? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going. Kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and thanks for joining me on the Radio Northwest Network. I've got a question for you to consider. While the legislatures of both Oregon and Washington are in session, you know that when the legislature or the Congress is in session, no man or woman's life, liberty, or property is ever safe. Well, that appears to be true here as well. And a specific example, here's the question to consider as a taxpayer. Would you agree 
to a brand new funding package for schools in your state, in this case, Washington State, that allowed billions of dollars in additional funding without any hint that it will do the kids any good at all. Now, to talk about that, Lee Finna joins me now, director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. Hey, Lee, welcome back. Well, thanks so much, Lars. Great to be with you again. Thank you for that. Tell me this. Uh, let's start with uh, educating people a bit. How much do they propose to spend per student per year in Washington State public schools? Yeah, well, right now, the the uh, state of Washington is spending $19,000 on average statewide for the education of each student, okay? That's a huge increase uh, over the last 10 years, where, you know, 10 years ago, it was $10,000 per student. So we're spending $9,000 more per student, nearly double what we spent 10 years ago. And now in the legislature, they want to add more money to, uh, for operating costs. They claim they need more money for operating costs, Lars, which is it, it's almost like the, the superintendents who are running these budgets of these school districts don't feel that they have to spend within their means any longer. I mean, that's the bigger picture here. They they uh, they see costs. They don't they're not expected to anticipate an increase in costs, even though they get increased revenue for inflation increases already all right built into their budgets but uh yet uh when they make a mistake they they don't account for the increase in gas costs or energy costs that the state legislature is forcing us all to pay they want to they run down to the state house for more money well and in fact they've gone from what 13 billion in 2013 to 29 billion in the year ending in 2025 so the amount of money going yes. into education is not short. It's it's not quite double. And in Seattle, the worst example of this, it comes out to just over $23,000 per student per year for almost 50,000 students. Yes, and, uh, you know, that's uh, more money than the, than the average private school tuition uh, in our private schools in, in Washington State, considerably more money in Seattle. Uh, it's only a, a, the average high school tuition at a private school is $14,000 per student. Yet uh, at the public schools in Seattle, we're spending $23,000 per student, and we're getting bad results. That's the other part is that, that the state test scores from the spring, this last spring, showed that 61% of the students of Washington failed the state math test and 49% failed the state English test. These are minimal standards of literacy and math proficiency set by the state. Yet these schools that have so much money can't seem to educate students to do these minimal standards. And now what they claim is if you'll just give us an additional $3 billion and increase it from, what, twenty almost $26 billion to $29 billion, that, that that's going to make a difference, except there's nothing over the last 10 years, correct me if I'm wrong, there's nothing that would indicate that more money produces better results. There's nothing to indicate that more money gets better results. In this current budget that we're in, we saw an increase of $3 billion. A 12, oh, that's the an $3 increase of, that, Yes, that's the $3 billion. And it's, over the previous budget of the 2021-23 uh, t uh, spending in that previous budget, the current budget added $3.1 billion, which was an increase of 12% in one budget cycle. Yet the school superintendents are saying they don't have enough money. 
So, and they're saying it's, I mean, because when they say operating costs, out of the 19000 on average statewide for every single student, nineteen grand per student per year, isn't their operating cost paid within that nineteen grand, or that's nineteen grand plus operating costs? No, that's nineteen grand for all operating costs, which includes the uh, salaries of the people in the schools and the, the teachers and the assistance to the teachers and all the overhead being paid in central district offices. That covers all the operating costs, which 85% of the spending in the schools is on salaries and benefits for the people who are educating and supporting the education of students. So this is just operating. If you add, I looked at the numbers for capital spending in Seattle, for example, that's, uh, you know, to, to build new buildings, to maintain the buildings. That's another nearly $10,000 per student in Seattle. So if you add the operating costs or the salaries to pay the people to work there and you add the, uh, over the, the building costs, the capital spending, you're talking $33,000 per student. So, so it just tells you we keep putting more money in public education and we're not getting good results for it and they keep coming to us for more money. And so I, I, I have to start thinking that, it, that the public school monopoly is becoming an albatross around our neck, not a beneficial uh, function of government any longer because you know, you're, you're hearing about the COVID school shutdowns did something very detrimental to the public schools. They, they told parents that uh, the, the government schools are not going to open uh, if uh, they don't want to. You know, even if the health emergency is way past, even if they, even if private schools can open safely with health measures in place like they did during COVID, the public schools are just not going to open because the unions, of course, keep the doors closed much longer than they needed to. And, and yet the paychecks keep on coming. Oh, the paychecks keep on coming and nobody goes to work and the children don't get educated. And so this is like, shaken parents to the core like oh the government isn't going to educate my children the government wants more money to, for the education of my children uh and you're seeing all kinds of of downstream effects from this lars like like the the uh, absentee rates are much higher like they they're seriously high because kids are just parents have said well, why should i bother getting my kids to school why should i work hard to get johnny to school to attend school make him go every day if the school won't open when i need it you see you know what i'm saying this is so this is what i'm seeing is like this bad effect it's, oh the public does the government schools don't think it's important and to yet, keep the schools open for the sake of the children so why should we send the kids to school you see yeah oh, i do in fact what i see is the kids graduate whether they score on the tests or not and they still graduate. So they have no incentive. The parents have no incentive. The teachers get paid whether they show up to teach or not. And the administrators, when they walk into Olympia and they say, we need more money, nobody says, well, you're producing crap results, therefore we're not giving you more money. They say, oh, well, how much do you need? And they scare up every single dime they possibly can because the politicians who vote on that know that their campaigns are funded, at least in part, by money from the teachers union so no education still get to graduate don't go to work you still get a paycheck why would anybody ever show up in a case like that that's lee finna from the washington policy center coming up in a moment a massive lawsuit that encompasses about 19 states about whether or not you can count ballots that come in after election day
I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. And fix stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday. I'll be glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Let me tease this, though. The fact is there's a major lawsuit going on, and it's about something that, at least for non-lawyers, would seem like a very simple question. Can you count ballots that are received in an election days or even a week after the election has been held and the simple answer i would think would be no you can't count ballots that come in after the deadline and frankly it's a federal issue as well because while states set the procedures by which they're going to carry out a vote election day is set as the first tuesday after a monday in november Every four years on leap year, we have a presidential election in November on the first Tuesday after a Monday. And you say, well, that's election day, right? Well, what happens if we get ballots after election day? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. First, I want to go to some of your calls. Let's start with uh, Carter, who's calling in from Puyallup on the Radio Northwest Network. Carter, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thank you. Hey, I was just listening to uh, the budget issues, you know, the state wants more money to educate kids and so forth. And uh, I am a supporter of the general idea, more money is not going to fix the problem Agreed. Uh, in that regard. But unfortunately, when you talk about subjects like these, there's a lot of blanket statements uh, that don't apply. Uh, I'm married to a lady who was in the third grade for 25 years, retired, and so forth. And so I would hear the stories every evening around the dinner table about, you know, issues pertaining to that. And uh, I would say one major difference between private schools and public schools and the way that private schools, you know, have such a higher uh, accomplishment in the kids' lives as far as their education standard, it's parent involvement. In the public schools, <laughs> or in the private schools, you're putting your kids into a pool where the parents care about the kids' education. They want to be involved, and many, if not all, of the private schools require parents. If your child goes here, you're going to commit two, three, five hours a month as a volunteer. Whether it's you know organizing papers, whether it's you know whatever it is, you're gonna you're gonna do that. Otherwise, your kid doesn't go there. Carter, so I got to tell you something. Here. I have friends who have their kids in public school. There are parents who put their kids in private school. I've never gone to a private school. Tina never went to a private school. But if you're assuming that because your kids go to private school, the kid, the parents are more involved in the school, 
I think that's hogwash. Now, you can say, well, well you're required well, to do well, a well, couple well. of... See, now that's a blanket statement. That's a blanket it statement. It is. You can't make that blanket statement. Well, but you're making the blanket... Hold on. You're making the blanket statement involved. that parents parents of public school kids are less involved and parents who are paying a big tab for a private school are more involved. I don't think that you've made some blanket statements, so I'm going to challenge those as well. If you believe that every kid who goes to a private school has parents who are heavily involved in their education and pay close attention to it, Many of them do not. And if you're saying that most of the people who send their kids to private, to per, uh, public school, government-run schools, are less involved, that's also a blanket statement that is provably untrue. There are an awful lot of public uh, school kids who have parents that are very involved. Lars, you never let me get to the other side of this. You okay, get to the other side, but you were making blanket statements okay. while condemning blanket okay. statements. I thought I'd call you out. Go ahead, Carter. We're talking about averages. We're talking about expectations, okay? So in the public schools, you know, a snow day, parents, you'd call the parents and say, you have to come pick up your kid or we're not going to pick up your kid. Parents would call and say, well, you, what do you expect me to do with them? You know, I mean, you wouldn't get that kind of response out of a parent who cares. Sure you would. Sure. You, think, you, th you, really think that you really think the more affluent families don't also say, my kid's supposed to be in school all day. What am I supposed to do with them? Many of them are still working jobs. They may be working jobs with bigger paychecks, but it doesn't mean they're just as, as off-put by a, cl a school closing down. But here's the bottom line, Carter. There is a, a bit of truth, but you haven't stated it yet, and that is, if you're financially involved in something, do you tend to care, care about something a whole lot more than something you get that you perceive as free? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Then in the case of public school or government school, parents perceive it as, yeah, my kids get this. I don't have to pay anything directly for it. Now, they know in theory part of their property taxes, part of their state taxes go to that public school, but they don't really perceive that they're paying for it. The guy or gal who's writing a check to a private school says, hey, I'm writing a big check for you to go to school. You're going to take it seriously. There may be some of that effect. But here's the bottom line. Now, you, you admitted you have a dog in the fight because this is a, either a sweetheart or a family member who's a teacher. So if you made a, a good check as a teacher, you know, whether the kids learned anything or not, then you've got a dog in the fight. You've got a bias in this case. I don't. I went to public schools. I thought I did very well. And, uh, and, and, and I don't have any teachers in my family. You do. So that does make a difference in the conversation. But when we shovel all these dollars into public education and it turns into nothing, and when you see government-run schools say, we don't have to operate during the pandemic, uh, we still get checks whether we operate the schools or not. Do you think that sends a message as well saying, hey, the paycheck pay cash is just as well whether we show up for work or not? Now, Carter, would you go to your job every day if you thought you could take days off and the boss wouldn't object? Uh, no. But no, you wouldn't. You'd say, hey, you mean, boss, you're going to pay me you're even really, if I go fishing really every Tuesday? What's You're that? really good at cutting people off without finishing a story. Well, okay? the, what's the story? Tell me the story then. Okay. Pause for a minute. Hold, hold the mouth for a minute. Okay. No, I don't, don't, don't pull that nonsense with me, schools. Carter. Tell me the story school. if you've got All a story to tell. The public schools. 
I went to public schools. My wife went to public schools. All of our kids went to public schools. Our grandkids are in public schools right now. So I understand all I that. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? The kids are going to school and they're not learning. You heard the numbers. 60% fail in English. Those, yeah. Well, you just said you were in public schools. You, you said that was credibility for your opinion. No, I, I didn't say it was credibility. I said you can and you're you can get something out of the public schools if you decide to. Do you think there are a lot of kids who don't give a damn how they do in school? Oh, there must be. Okay. I mean, you can take the public schools around us, and you can see how what high percentages can't even reach the graduation expectation scores in math and reading, yet they graduate them. Then make I mean, it matter. Must not... Make it matter. Tell yeah. your local school board, if you don't make the right grades, you get held back in 12th grade or 6th grade or 9th grade, whatever grade it is. Tell them there's a consequence. Mississippi does that right now, and they're making a big difference in their education. You get to the end of 3rd grade, you think you're going on to 4th, you know what they tell you? They call it the 3rd grade gate. If you aren't making the marks, you get held back. Now, they'll do some tutoring that summer, and they do it very inexpensively. But they say, if you can't make fourth grade material, you're staying back for a year. Now, that would send a message. But the public schools said, we just want to crank them through and get the money. And that's all they give a damn about. They don't really care if the kids learn or not. And it's very clear in their output. At your job, if 60% of what you produced or did in your job produced garbage, would you, and, and an inadequate job done, would you still have a job? So you're saying all teachers are only producing 60%. I'm saying that statewide in the state of Washington, you've got 60% of the kids failing in English, 50% failing in math. Is that failing? You're saying all teachers stayed home and collected the check during COVID and didn't work. Uh, the public school teachers all got checks, whether they showed up at school or not, whether there were classes or not. The private schools got back to business very, very quickly. Some of them wanted to be back and were told to stay closed. You got the Lars Larson Show. John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment. You know, there was a time before Barack Obama when the world had decided that Iran should not have any kind of nuclear program, nor not a peaceful program, not one for making bombs. And then, of course, we had the famous JCPOA, the agreement that Barack Obama didn't see fit to put in the form of a treaty and have ratified by the U.S. Senate, but he had the agreement anyway. And Donald Trump, I think, uh, properly got rid of that agreement because it wasn't doing anybody any good. And, in fact, I think it was actually enhancing the danger, danger of Iran. Joe Biden comes into office a little over three years ago and decides he wants to get a JCPOA. So he does all kinds of favors for the country of Iran. So what better time to talk to Henrik Rasmussen, who is executive director of the Institute for Science and International Security. Welcome to the program, Mr. Rasmussen. Thank you, Lars. It's an honor to be with you. Would you mind telling my audience what the Iran threat Geiger counter is? Because I find the idea intriguing. Yes, uh, the Geiger counter is a regular product we put out uh, at the Institute for Science and International Security 
where we uh, use the notion of a Geiger counter, which measures radioactivity, to assess the ongoing and unfortunately rising threat from Iran's nuclear program. Uh, we've been putting these reports out uh, regularly over the last uh, year and a half, and we just published the latest one today. And for the first time uh, during those years, uh, we now show an extreme level of danger from Iran's nuclear program. So maybe Joe Biden was right when he made that comment, I think, at a fundraiser probably a year and a half ago and said we're closer to nuclear Armageddon than we've been in a long time. His assessment may have been right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm afraid that is the case. And I think you gave a good uh, intro here uh, on the JCPOA and the legacy issues there. Uh, I think we need a, a drastic change of course here. Well, and should we take Iran seriously when they, as I understand it, on about a weekly basis, vow to destroy the United States and destroy its ally Israel in the region? I mean, if somebody's saying they're going to kill you, you should probably take them seriously, right? Absolutely. We take them at their word. And in fact, one of the six parameters we use to measure the threat from Iran's nuclear program in our Geiger counter is what we call hostile rhetoric. Uh, so we take them seriously when they say death to America, death to Israel. Uh, the latest example of hostile rhetoric uh, is actually in, in one of their regime newspapers just today, uh, where they say they're, they're, they're stating that they have 500,000 missiles they're ready to fire off and that only 10% of them would be enough to burn all American bases in the Middle East. So they're just highly, highly hostile, and I think we need to take that very seriously. Can you can you help my audience and, frankly, help me understand why this president seems so dead set on negotiating with Iran through a proxy, which happens to be Russia, strange as that seems, uh, and, and that he gets almost nothing, but he keeps making promises and accommodations for the folks I call the mad mullahs of Tehran? Why is he doing that, and is it good for, for U.S. security or international security? Yeah, it's, it's hard to uh, get inside the, the president's uh, head, of course. Uh, you can only speculate what might be driving. Uh, obviously, I think there's some concern about escalation in an election year. Uh, so there may be political reasons. There's probably also the legacy of the JCPOA. Uh, many of the uh, people that currently serve in the Biden administration were heavily involved in the Obama administration and the creation of the JCPOA. So it may be hard to let go of uh, old approaches and, uh, and dogmas. Uh, so it's probably a combination of those things. At the strategic level, there could also be concern, and some of those concerns are valid, I think, that uh, the Chinese are uh, starting to beat the drum uh, against Taiwan uh, more yep. and more aggressively. And obviously, uh, there is uh, Russia's ongoing war against the Ukraine, uh, which, which would be a reason to try not to escalate things in the Middle East. Uh, unfortunately, I think attempts to try to... Uh, bottle up the threat from Iran, uh, just making the threat even worse. Okay, from the, I'm, I'm talking to Henrik uh, Rasmussen, who's executive director of the Institute for Science and International Security. Uh, I hear different uh, 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 deadlines that are bounced around by various people. Uh, how far away is Iran from actually having nuclear weapons it could use? Do we know? Because I, I heard a few months ago that they were a month away. So 
Where where do we stand right now, Mr. Rasmussen? Yes, there, there are a couple of ways to look at this. Uh, one question to look into is can they build a nuclear weapon based on their current stocks of highly enriched uranium? Uh, our assessment at the Institute is that they could do so uh, with the amount of 60% enriched uranium they have right now. That's below what you call weapons grade, but you can actually, with enough of it, build a crude nuclear weapon, and they have enough uh, to do that now. So what we call nuclear breakout time is effectively zero at this point. And we also estimate that if they wanted to produce 90% enriched uranium, which is what you normally call weapons-grade uranium, uh, it would take them only a week to produce enough of that uh, to build a nuclear weapon based on their current stockpiles. Now, um, stockpiles are not enough uh, to build a nuclear weapon. You also have to uh, weaponize uh, and actually you know, build the bomb, not just uh, have enough fissile material to do so, and there are various estimates there. Uh, currently, uh, we assess that from the time they say go, it would take them about six months uh, to build a crude nuclear weapon, uh, and it would take them longer if they were going to stand up uh, advanced production capability uh, to surely produce warheads. Um, Is there any reason again, for Iran to hold back from that goal? Uh, well, again, it's, it's hard to get into the uh, hits of the uh, decision makers. I am worried uh, that we have not established sufficient deterrence at this point. We've been too weak. Uh, we've also been too weak in our response uh, to attacks uh, sponsored by uh, Iran, conducted by uh, their proxies, the Houthis and others. Uh, thankfully, now we're starting to see a little more of a robust response. But uh, this sort of serial weakness uh, in our approach to Iran uh, leads me to be concerned uh, that they are not deterred from going ahead and building a nuclear weapon. The other concern uh, we have at the Institute is that uh, Israel, the United States, and our European allies uh, are very distracted right now. Israel, with its war, in uh, Gaza and handling uh, the terrorist uh, threats around them. Uh, the United States all around the globe and, and Europe, obviously, with the war in Ukraine. So Iran might decide under the cover of all of this instability around the globe to raise ahead toward a nuclear weapon. Well, and, and at that point, is there any doubt that many other uh, Middle East states would also then say, well, if they're armed, we need one, too? Well, that's the fear, of course. Uh, uh, without a credible U.S. Um, nuclear umbrella or U U.S. leadership in the region, uh, the Saudis might decide they need their own weapon, uh, and then Turkey might decide they need something, uh, and it would go on and on from there. Uh, and that's the problem, of course, in general with nuclear weapons, that uh, the more states acquire them, the more states attempted to also acquire their own capability. And at some point, and this will inspire our control. That's what it sounds like. That's Henrik Rasmussen, who is executive director of the Institute for Science and International Security. Mr. Rasmussen, thanks very much for the time. Check it out, the Iran threat Geiger counter, and Joe Biden's got it ticking right now. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest. Now
with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You are in control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program and welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. I got to tell you this. This is an example of how your money gets spent. You've got crazy spending in both Oregon and Washington. And by the way, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, which has been serving this region for almost a quarter of a century. So the state of Oregon did not make a big public announcement when they first launched this program, not quite a year and a half ago, November of 2022. And they put up $29 million. And what was it for? It was to provide hotel accommodations, food and housing for what the uh, uh, politically correct folks call immigrants seeking asylum, meaning illegal aliens. Because if you've already got asylum, then you're not an asylum seeker. You are somebody who's coming to America legitimately. If you're an illegal alien, you can always say, well, I'm seeking asylum, knowing that the court decision about whether or not your asylum claim is true or not is not going to be made for years. In the meantime, you get to live in the United States. So Oregon puts up $29 million for this program. And what did they do with almost, you know, 30 million bucks? They provided hotel rooms for 469 people over a period of 14 months. And they say uh, some of them were placed on a waiting list. The hotel was full. They managed to, to nail down 125 rooms at a hotel near Portland International Airport. They had 30 asylum seekers who arrived at the airport in the summer of 2022. And they began sleeping in the baggage claim area. Now, if you say, well, I, I didn't hear about that. How did that happen? They've kept it under wraps. And then on the 31st of December, just over a month ago, they shut the entire program down. They refused to explain the program. They refused to explain why it operated. Uh, spokesman Jake Sunderland of the Department of Human, Human Services declined to say why the state shut down the so-called Welcome Center, although... They, uh, they did point out that the legislature didn't provide money to continue its operations. They had one plan that would have spent $79 million to keep the Welcome Center open for the next four years. A second plan would have spent $41 million to pay a nonprofit group to operate a smaller hotel at Gresham. So when the public officials start telling you 
Uh, we wish you we could provide better education for your kids, but we don't have the money. We wish we could provide better police services. We don't have the money, et cetera, et cetera. Just understand that some of your money is already being spent on Joe Biden's invasion of illegal aliens, which has been largely out of sight here in the Northwest. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means it's been out of sight, but it's already costing taxpayers tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars. Let's go to Steve. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? The man named Clark, who alleged to have killed a potential pedophile. The guy in Texas, yep. I believe that justice should be blind and should be applied evenly to everyone in the nation. There are some people in the nation who have been accused of various crimes up to and including treason. They don't seem to be vigorously pursuing any of these cases. There's an unknown number of crimes that have been committed by illegal immigrants up to and including murder and rape those don't don't yes just to name a few those crimes don't seem to be very vigorously pursued um although i'll tell you this steve there's a guy who gathers information for this show david cross and he would tell you this the estimated number or percentage of illegal aliens in the population in the northwest is about four or five percent of the population but among the convicted murderers sitting in the state prison in Salem, uh, the, the percentage of murderers who are there is 14% of the murderers in the state. So 45 or 5 maybe even 6% of the population of illegal aliens is committing murder at a rate that's about three times the rate of the percentage of illegal aliens. For rape, it's around 18% of the convicted rapists sitting in prison are form are illegal aliens so when donald trump said look when they send these illegals they don't send their best uh, a gigantic percentage of people who are coming into this country illegally not surprisingly to me uh because i i, I know liberals are surprised by this they said they're just people like us no they are among them convicted criminals people on the terrorist watch list and people who are Having entered a country illegally and been been being shown an open door, a free airplane ticket or bus ticket, uh, a credit card with cash on it, free health care, free place to to live, um, free meaning paid for by the American taxpayers, they then say, "Do we have to go by the rules?" And the general conclusion, I think, among illegal aliens is, we don't have to go by the rules. Our, the very fact that we're here is breaking the law, and they're not doing anything about that. Why would they obey any of the other rules or laws? Well, it seems to me that there are a number of politicians and their minions who are breaking the laws on a daily basis. And I think they are terrified of an armed citizenry enforcing the law, taking it upon themselves. Uh, the backlash for those politicians could be immense. It absolutely could. Steve, I appreciate the call. Thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network, 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And be sure to check out our Instagram feed as well. And yes, I do have a face for radio. The Lord.
Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.